Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I am one of your hosts. And Aubrey Sampson, our other host, is out sick. Uh, again, I explained this last time. We batch record these intros and outros. And so for this particular recording, she had to phone in sick, unfortunately. So give her some love. Give her a shout out on, on Instagram at Samp. Tell her you hope that she gets better soon. Um, and she'll be back with us very soon. But for now, you're stuck with just me. Um, but I'm excited for our time together. I hope you are as well. We've got a very special guest today, Brittany Tinsley. Um, she is the, a writer for Hope Writers, which is a very large kind of writers guild, writers association, um, where she helps to facilitate community for thousands of writers. Um, and so she obviously, as a writer, she just has very thought provoking ideas, um, particularly around the idea of suffering and some of the own, some of the things that she's gone through as well. And I just want to, um, you know, this, this episode is going to be, um, it's going to, it's going to be sensitive. I mean, our, all of our episodes are very sensitive. And so, you know, sometimes we give what's called trigger warnings, which I would, you know, first of all, say that probably all of our episodes should have trigger warnings because we've all gone through traumatic things, um, you know, and, and, and the things that you hear on the nothing is wasted podcast can, um, trigger you, but I want to invite you as you are triggered. Anytime you listen to this, to lean into those triggers, it's always healthy to not run from those triggers, to not suppress them or to try to stuff them, but to lean into them and let those triggers be an invitation to deeper healing, an invitation from the Lord to, to, to go deeper with him in, um, healing the, the depths of your heart where, um, the, the root of that wounding is. Okay. So, all right. I, that was my little kind of tangent, but I wanted to, I wanted to just w- warn you that, um, you know, if you're, if you have experienced, um, a loved one or a friend who has died by suicide that I just want to give you a, a warning that there is some sensitive material that is talked about in this conversation that you may want to be aware of. Um, particularly we're going to talk about, um, with Brittany self-harm and, you know, um, her journey with that and some of the things the Lord has shown her over the years as he's led her through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, if this episode ministers to you, or if any of our episodes have ministered to you, would you do us a favor? Would you go and rate and review this podcast on Apple podcast? It really helps us a ton. And most importantly, um, outside of encouraging us to keep going, um, and to keep doing this, what it does is it helps to expose this podcast to so many other people so they can hear the stories of hope and healing that would help them in their desperate situation. So go and rate and review the podcast on Apple podcasts and then stick around after this conversation. I'm going to break it down a little bit, talk about some things that stuck out to me. And, um, and so why don't you go ahead right now and just lean in. Let's listen to this conversation I have with Brittany Tinsley. Brittany, thanks so much for joining us on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. It's good to have you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. You know, um, I'm, I am 
really excited to jump into your story. I think it's going to minister to so many people um, and just the little bits that I've read. I'd love to know, you know, just a little bit about you, though, first of all, just kind of where you're at modern day context. What, where, where do you live? What do you do? Uh, maybe how you got connected to the Nothing is Wasted podcast? Sure. So I'm a listener of the Nothing is Wasted podcast. I love it. I think awesome. that the work that y'all do is so inspiring and it's ministered to me personally. And so that's part of why I'm so excited to get to be here today. Um, wow, I hope that my cool. story you know, can do the same thing for us, somebody else. So um, today I am a mom of two. Uh, my husband and I live with our daughters in um, Melissa, Texas, which is just north of Dallas. Okay. And I'm a writer and photographer. And I currently work for a company called Hope Writers, which, which helps writers oh, cool. learn to balance the art of writing with the business of publishing. I'm the community manager, yes. so I get to shepherd this whole community of writers and encourage them as they make progress in their own writing journeys and telling their own stories, which I absolutely love that I get to do. So um, that is awesome. That's what I'm doing today. I've heard of Hope Writers, but I yeah. had no idea that you were connected to them in that way. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I've been with Very them since cool. about June. So it's a really great organization. Awesome. How did how did you get into writing? I mean, you know, that's uh, that's a field that a, a lot of people want to be in, you know, and obviously some people are doing it in kind of as a hobby and on the side and, you know, maybe even therapeutic uh, mm-hmm. for therape- therapeutic means. But, you know, to be able to do something and even lead a kind of guild of writers in that way, that's cool. That's really awesome. What, what brought yeah. you into that? So I think I've always loved writing. Um, my dad is a wonderful writer and I mm. grew up watching him write, not necessarily anything in an official, you know, sense of the word, but um, he loved to write and was able to articulate himself written in the written word in a way that he couldn't verbally a lot of the time. And so I loved that. And I loved that he allowed himself to be emotionally vulnerable in a way when he wrote that he wasn't able to be, you know, necessarily like one-on-one in a, in a conversation. Um, and so I just, I grew up watching that and I naturally just loved writing and I think had a little bit of a natural gift for it and was really encouraged through my schooling from various teachers along the way and who really spoke, you know, life and truth into that gifting. And I just leaned into it and, you know, here I am. It wasn't necessarily a plan. Um, and that's, you know, kind of part of my story. It's something that God has used recently, um, in a way that I didn't really anticipate. And so it's something that I'm really excited about that I get to do now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as, um, if you're a listener of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, it probably means that you've gone through something tough or a series of things that are tough. And from my experience in writing, um, writing is one of the greatest tools that the Lord has given us to be able to process those things. And like what you said, to be able to articulate things that maybe you can't verbally, mm-hmm. but as you have time to process it and put it pen to paper, you're able to to craft it in a way that really it helps other people to understand what you're feeling. I think what it does often is it helps you to understand what you're feeling, Absolutely. right? Almost primarily it's, it becomes this, like this, this form of counseling and therapy mm-hmm. for, for your soul as well. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. There's just something so special and intimate to be able to sit down and write something, even if nobody else ever sees it, that speaks yeah. to your experience or to an emotion or whatever it is that you're writing. You know, I think there's just something really powerful in 
kind of claiming some of that narrative and working through yeah. it that way, as opposed to just letting all these things kind of rattle around in your head all the time. I know it's very helpful for me to actually get to write it down and see it on paper and kind of work through it in that way. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, take us back and talk to us a little bit about your journey. Um, you know, we often label things like pain to purpose journey or, you know, nothing is wasted type journey, but you know, you've got, you've got some difficult things that you've walked through. Um, share that with us. Yeah. So I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I was very lucky to have parents who have been faithful Christians my entire life. Um, my dad was military. And so we moved mm. every two years up from, until I was 18. Um, oh, wow. And church was the constant. Anytime we moved anywhere, I got plugged in very quickly into a new church community. And so really the only stabilizing factor outside of my own family was church and my relationship with Christ. I came to Christ at a very young age. Um, and about the time I was in middle school, you know, I said the prayer and all that stuff when I was like four or five. And um, and I had a childlike faith then, but my faith really became my own in middle school. That was really when I would say I entered into a personal, meaningful wow. relationship with God. Um, and things were good. And I was growing and was being encouraged in my faith by different youth pastors and my own family and um, our, our church community as a, as a whole. And then uh, we moved to California right before my freshman year of high school. And one of my friends during my freshman year committed suicide. And it was something unexpected. Um, I had dealt with a few other kind of tragic deaths of friends before that, but this was just something totally different. Um, and I didn't know how to process it. I didn't, I just had no sort of frame of reference for what to do with right. this. And I felt very alone. And I also felt partially responsible. You know, that's something we know with suicide. People oh. carry a lot of guilt and a lot of, you know, what ifs and what could have been, you know, kind of yeah. thoughts. And that was something that I really struggled with, but didn't know how to verbalize at the time. Mm. Um, and so I really dealt with it alone and dealing with things alone, as we know, typically does not go especially well. Um, and that was what happened for me. So there was kind of a culmination of a lot of things that, that the suicide started and eventually kind of in a moment of really pure impulse more than anything else, I cut myself for the first time and it wasn't something I had really planned. It wasn't something I had ever really been exposed to. That's always a question people ask me, like, where did you learn this behavior? Huh. And, I, and I didn't really learn it from anywhere. I didn't have any friends who were self-injuring. Um, it wasn't something at the time that was really on TV. I know it is a little bit more now, but at the time, right. it wasn't something that was on TV or really talked about in the media. Um, it really was just an impulse in the moment decision. But that moment of desperation made me realize that although it was a very unhealthy coping mechanism, it was something that brought relief to the pain at large that I was experiencing. And instantly I was hooked. And I, I thought for a while that it was something I was in complete control of. I thought, I've got this under control. I'm only using this when things are really, really overwhelming, when they feel really bad, when they feel really negative. Um, and then I started realizing that I was turning to self-injury not only when things were really hard, it was when things were really good too. And it was anything, any emotion was overwhelming. I worked really hard to stay at this very neutral, I feel nothing place. Yeah. And anytime I moved anywhere out of that range, my go-to response was to cut myself. Um, 
And I, and at that point I realized, I think I might have a problem. I think this might be something that's bigger than what I anticipated it being. Um, that was about six months and it didn't take very long for me to get to that point. And I decided I really needed some help. And so I went to my church because that was what I had learned was what you do. You know, you take these problems, your sin. Um, I knew I wasn't relying on God at that point and you go to church. And so I went to a trusted adult in my youth group. Um, It wasn't my youth pastor. It was just a youth volunteer. I was 15. She was at the time 23, which I thought made her like the most grown up human on the planet. She seemed right so mature. And I thought, she's going to have the answer. She's going to know what to do. Mm. And I brought this to her and I kind of word vomited this whole story about I had been cutting and I didn't know how to quit and I wanted to and I needed to. Um, And she sat down with me and she had the most compassionate, wonderful Mm. response that I could have hoped for. I think that... wow. I'm so glad you said that because here I was like, I'm on the edge of my seat going like, (laughs) Oh no, I know where this is going, you know, but oh, praise God that that's what, that was her response. Yeah, yeah. she was wonderful. Um, and she, she said, you know, it's going to be okay. We're going to figure this out. Um, and kind of together, we agreed that she would ask me for the next couple of weeks if I had cut myself during the week. And if the answer was mm-hmm. yes, then after a series of weeks, then maybe we would need to get somebody else involved. And I assured her up and down, this is it. It's a one-time thing. I'm done. I really just need some accountability. You know, in Christianity, we talk a lot about accountability and I thought, I just need accountability. And if I had accountability, yeah, accountability, (laughs) it's the answer for everything. If I just have some accountability, then I won't do this. If I know somebody's going to ask me, then this thing I've kept so hidden and so private, I'm not going to be able to keep hidden anymore. And that's going to keep me from doing it. Like just kind of the sheer shame of having to admit it verbally is going to keep me from, from engaging in that behavior. And it didn't work. You know, over the next couple of weeks, my self-injury continued to ramp up rather than to decrease. And so, you know, she said, I really think we need to tell somebody else. I really think we need to tell a real adult that, you know, those were the words she used. And together we agreed that that would be my youth pastor. And so the next week we set up a meeting with my youth pastor. My parents had no idea any of this was going on. Um, But we, this youth worker and I set up a meeting with my youth pastor And we went and met with him. And again, he had this very positive reaction. He was very understanding. Um, He asked a lot of questions I didn't have answers for. And and I thought, I walked out going, okay, next week he's going to give me like a three-step plan for how to to beat this. Or he's going to give me a list of resources or, um, I don't know, a free counselor or something. Like that was what I thought was going to happen. And instead he called me the next week and said, you know, we have all these youth events coming up. I was in a lot of leadership positions within my youth group. And he said, you're no longer welcome at any of these effective immediately. You need to step out of all of these positions. You can't come to camp. You can't go on the mission trips. You can't come to these extra events on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights when the doors are open to everybody. You're welcome. But kind of outside of that, don't come like you're a liability. Um, oh, wow. And part of me understood that part of me understood that there was this thing about me now that had changed that that they did see as a liability, you know, just from a safety perspective, it was a liability. But the other part of me wanted to go, I've been cutting myself for six months and you had no idea. Like nothing right. about me as a human has fundamentally changed. And, and there was, you know, my walk with God certainly wasn't where it needed to be at that point. 
But I just remember thinking like, you're supposed to be the community that comes around me and supports me and like Mm -hmm. helps me through this. And instead, this community that I've depended on my entire life through all of these moves and everything has suddenly been ripped away from me. And it really left me kind of floundering. I didn't really know what to do. Um, And that event kind of coincided with a move my family was making. My family was about to move again. And I thought, well, I'll just leave it all behind. Nobody has to know when I move to Texas. Um, And I can just kind of pick up my life as it had been before any of this happened. And nobody will be any of the wiser. Except we moved and I kept cutting And I found myself back in this cycle, except at this point, I didn't have any of these relationships I had had in California because we were in a new place starting over. And I kept thinking, like, eventually, I'm going to get over this. Eventually, I'm going to get on top of this. And it's not going to be an issue anymore. And that just never happened. I tried really hard to quit by myself. And it just wasn't something I could do for whatever reason. I just it was it was beyond my level of ability at that point. And so again, I turned to a youth pastor, my youth pastor in Texas and told him and asked him for help. And he had the complete opposite reaction of that first youth pastor. He went out of his way to make sure that I knew he was available to me at any time if I ever wanted prayer or was ready for resources or if he could be of support in any way, his door was open no matter what. And, And I think God just really used him in particular to kind of heal this idea of what church was supposed to look like and, you know, what church leadership was supposed to look like for me. And that was really important. Um, I didn't quit cutting for a really long time after that. It's not like that was the end of the story and, and it was all well and good. But I think that at that point I was able to say, I think God's going to use this one day. And that was really the Mm. thought that kind of kept, kept me going. Honestly, I thought eventually God is going to use this. And I kept waiting for it to happen. And I would get ahead of it a little bit. I'd quit for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, or there were even periods of time like in college when I was able to quit for a year or two. And I kept going, okay, God, I did it. Like, where are you? Use this. I'm, you know, it's, it's done. It's good. And I just wasn't seeing that happen. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is my thorn in the flesh, but it's not something that God's going to use. And I kind of threw my hands up in the air and was like, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm done waiting for this like God moment to happen for this, for God to come through and use this really hard experience that I've had in any way because he hasn't done it. It's been, you know, at that point I'd been cutting since I was 15 and I was in my early twenties at that point going, okay, it's been a long time. (laughs) When is it going to happen? Um, and it just didn't. And eventually I (laughs) got an opportunity to write a piece um, for to write love on her arms, which is a mental health nonprofit. They yeah, yeah. put out a, a call for blog submissions in the, I saw it in the middle of the night and kind of on impulse, again, <laughs> impulsive decisions here, wrote a piece <laughs> and submitted it before I had a chance to think about it. I thought I can write this mm-hmm. little story and offer some hope. It's nothing's going to come of it, but I'll write it and just send it off and see what happens. And I did. And mm-hmm. I got a, an email back from their editor a few weeks later that they loved it. They wanted to run it. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't think anything was going to happen here. And now this private thing that I've kept secret from everybody in my life for so many years is going to be out there on the Internet for anybody who wants to see it. Um, 
And I thought, well, this isn't what I thought this was going to look like. You know, when I, when I was asking God, like, use this, use this story, I thought it was going to be like a one-on-one. I'm going to have this little conversation with this one person about this, and it's going to be private. And that would be it. And I could, I could check the box and say, God used this story to help this one specific person. Um, and instead, this piece went live. And all of a sudden, I got hundreds of messages from people who were like, nobody's ever said this before. I've never heard anybody else say this before. Um, I didn't know I was the only Christian struggling with this. I didn't know there were other people like me who had faith struggling with this. And it was just on and on and on. And from there, all of these doors just started opening. And it was truly every time I've said yes to anything, almost immediately God has opened another door for me to share this story with somebody else somewhere else. And it just has been really over the last year is all it's been, but the most incredible story of how God has taken what were truly the worst years of my life and the thing I've struggled with for the most, I mean, for half my life, you know, to make it this thing that now he's using to connect with people and to encourage people in some of their darkest moments. And so, um, you know, God says all things work together for our good, except then he actually goes and does it. And, and that was something I lost sight of along the way. And so I think now here today, I'm able to say, God says he's going to make everything good. And he yeah. really, really does. So yeah. sure. that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Wow. wow. Man. You know, Brittany, uh, Brittany that's, that's, I mean, it's, in, it's incredible what, what God has been doing <laughs> as of recently to just to, to use your story and to encourage other people. And you're right. I think this is a topic that it's not talked about a lot because mm-hmm. one, it's not understood, mm-hmm. you know, on, on both fronts, right. It's not understood by the person who is committing self-harm. They kind of, in a lot of ways go like, I don't understand why I'm doing this. I just know it, it feels good. It mm-hmm. feel you know, but it also isn't understood by, you know, to your point, people who are on the quote unquote receiving end of it, as mm-hmm. you're kind of sharing that with somebody, your situation with your youth pastor, and yeah. they're not really sure how to handle that. Initially, it seemed like that they were handling that with grace and compassion, you know, and empathy. And yet then they're beginning to think about, um, you know, hedging around <laughs> and protecting themselves, self-preservation in that sense. And you becoming, like you said, a liability to that ministry. And so, I think it just is one of those things that needs to be talked a bit quite you know quite a bit more about because um you know it really just it's it stems from all of the undesirable behavior that we have all comes from these places of you know misplaced identity. Mm-hmm. And this really is the thing that the enemy is trying to attack in our lives uh perpetually is is us being at peace with who we are in this moment and content, right? Yeah. We're at peace. We have the peace of God that's, that's living in us, flowing through us. And we are, we are content in being a child of God, a son and a daughter of the King. But man, that can just get so dismantled so easily mm-hmm. and it manifests in so many different ways. I'd be really curious for you to kind of unpack for me as you've begun to drill down for you, you know, the kind of the big why, Yeah. you know, what, what is it that, I mean, I know for undesirable behavior in my own life, you know, in the middle of it, when you're wrestling through it, you're going, I don't understand why I'm doing this. I don't understand why I'm having these thoughts or I'm, I don't understand. But when you're, when you kind of are able to work through a lot of that and you look back, then you can go, Oh, I know exactly why 
mm-hmm. this was this behavior was manifesting itself. This is why I was doing this. Have you been able to spend some time really digging in and going, what's the deep, what's going on here at the root? What are the things that I'm believing about myself, about this world, about God that is causing me to step into this? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing was just control. This was something Mm. that I was able to control. I had a lot going on in my life that I couldn't control. I couldn't control how often I was moving. I couldn't control where I was moving. I was being ripped away from relationships every two years. And there was really nothing within, you know, my own little world that I had any control over. And and I said I trusted God to have control over all things. And I and I believe that on a level. God is in control. God's got it. Um, But when push came to shove, I wanted to have some control too. And that just wasn't something that I had at that point. And so Mm. I think that the reason it became such a huge issue for me that lasted for so long really kind of boiled down to that this is something I can control. I can't Mm. necessarily control my emotion. I mean, we can certainly control our reaction to emotion, but, Mm. you know, we can't necessarily control the the emotion that we have. Um, and that felt scary to me. And so I was like, well, I can control whether or not I hurt myself. Um, yeah. So it, there was that piece of it. And I think that it really just was something, and it's, this is going to sound counterintuitive for me to say, but it made me feel safe because I thought, this mm. is something I have. I'm in total control of. Nobody can yeah. take it from me. It makes me feel safe to have something that I know makes me feel good that nobody can touch. It didn't depend on anybody else. I think that that's one thing that's different maybe about self-injury than some other, you know, maladaptive coping mechanisms. You know, if you're talking about like drug use or alcohol or things like that, um, pornography, you know, even like those are all things that impact other people in a way, you know, drug you or require somebody else, you know, drug use requires you to get drugs from someone. And there's the the chance that you're going to hurt someone while you're under the influence. You know, same thing with alcohol. Pornography obviously requires that you get that from somewhere. Self-injury doesn't require any of that. It doesn't, I mean, it certainly affects other people, you know, in that you have relationships with other people who care about you and don't want to see you engaging in that behavior. But it doesn't affect anybody in the same way that like getting behind the wheel of a car under the influence of alcohol does. It's a very singular behavior. It also is something that's really easy to keep hidden. And so kind of the combination of those two things with this control aspect kind of created this perfect storm for me where um, I was like, yeah, this is it. I figured out the secret. I don't have to feel anything. I can just injure myself yeah. when, I, when I want to. It doesn't affect anybody else. It doesn't hurt anybody else. So I figured out the magic secret. And obviously yeah. that was not true. But at the time, that was what it really seemed like to me. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when did you start realizing, okay, even though this isn't hurting anybody else, this is really eating away at my soul. That's what a good, was the, like, you know, what was the journey of that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that, like I said, about six months in, I realized it was something I did not have control over in the way that I thought that I did. Um, so it started kind of taking on a life. Of yeah. Its own, it was this thing that I, slave to it now. right. Yeah. This thing that I had, had been using to maintain control started mm-hmm. controlling me. Um, it was something that I thought about all the time and, and that scared me. So I think that that was really kind of the first moment where I realized it was a problem and that was where my thinking started to change. Now, the fact that it was a problem didn't always outweigh the benefit of it to me. And so for a long time, it didn't matter to me necessarily that it was a problem. I went through several rounds of, 
I'm going to quit. Oh, no, I'm not. Because the benefit sometimes outweighed the fact that I knew it was harmful. Um, I would say it was probably when I got to college that I realized that it was really impacting me on like a soul level. I think for a long time, I was able to kind of lie to myself about the fact that it wasn't having a real impact. I was like, this is something I do, but it doesn't really change anything. And when I got to college and um, I went to a Christian college, I have a degree in biblical languages. So I took a lot of religion classes. I studied the Bible a lot. Um, you know, on an academic level, <laughs> in a lot level, of other languages, in a lot of yeah. other languages. Um, yeah, I, I like, I really just realized that my, that something about my soul had, had shifted and that yeah. it really had to do with this. And it was because part of the, part of the deal with self-injury is it becomes such an identifying feature for yourself that it's hard to separate mm. who you are as a person from the behavior. And so, you know, even, um, society makes that really easy. You know, they see somebody who's self-injuring, whether or not it's cutting or some other form of self-injury, they label you a cutter and, mm-hmm. and you, t- and, and you can take that on pretty easily. And so I had really kind of taken on this identity of this is what I do. This is who I am, even though it was very secret and only a handful of people in my world knew it was going on. I really didn't know how to be a person outside of the self-injury. And so I think it was in college when I realized that, that I had this moment of like, this is destroying me from the inside out. And I don't necessarily know how to fix it, but I know something has to change because I can't keep doing this. Um, And I had a professor who, who really changed my life. That's actually what I wrote that piece for Trey Love on Her Arms about um, was this interaction I had with this professor. But I went to him because I thought I had a cut that I thought was infected and that had never happened to me before. And I didn't know what to do. My parents didn't know what was going on. Um, and I was on their insurance. And so I knew I wasn't going to be able to go to the hospital without them knowing that I had gone to the hospital. And I didn't want to have to explain what had been going on. And this was a professor who I'd had for several classes. We'd been to the Amazon a couple of times together with my college. And so I just, I had a personal relationship with him and I trusted him. And so I went to him. Um, he had no idea <laughs> what was coming, but I went to him wow. and, and said, you know, I don't know what to do. I cut myself and I think it might be infected. And I, and, and what do I do now, basically? And yeah. um, he asked to look at it. And that was something, you know, showing somebody your scars, or your wounds, like that's a very, very personal, oh, intimate yeah. thing. And I was very hesitant to do it. And I just, in that moment, like I just, even today, remember the amount of like shame and embarrassment and they just settled on me. And so I let him see it. And he kind of told me what he thought I should do. And he saw some scars and he was like, you know, these other, these other lines, did you do that too? And I just remember not even being able to respond to him because I was so embarrassed. And he kind of waited for me to gather myself a little bit. And he had tears in his eyes and, um, you know, he said, Britt, this doesn't change anything. And it was in that moment, that truth that like, I see you, you and your worth beyond this, yeah. that I was like, okay, this isn't, this doesn't define me. This is a behavior that I've engaged in for a long time, but I am not this and I am separate from this. And this is not something I have to keep doing. Yeah. Wow. In that moment you know, in, in a very tangible way, he became Jesus Absolutely. for you. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a, a, just a great representation of someone who can see 
everything that you are so ashamed of and that's all you're focused on. And yet he sees beyond that, past mm-hmm. that and sees who you are. Yeah. Um, it was an incredibly powerful true. moment. I just love that. You know, you're a listener of the podcast. We hear this over and over and over and over. And it's just, that these are these experiential moments that the Lord brings us into that provide healing that just, um, you know, someone telling us truth mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that it, it can fall short. You know, it's like, okay, great. I just, that's wonderful. That that truth that you just told me, or a sermon I just heard that was stirring and that was moving, but there is something powerful about about experiencing it mm-hmm. firsthand. Yeah, you know, the Lord just bringing you into a situation where you're like, "That okay? I just experienced the presence of Jesus there." Mm-hmm. You know, um, man. Oh. What? So, you know, you said that part of this was control mm-hmm. for you because you you couldn't control the emotions that you were feeling mm-hmm. you know and even though you can control your response this this felt like <clears throat> a way that you could harness some of these overwhelming emotions that you were experiencing what what were those emotions what were the things that you were feeling and and believing that this at least for a season seemed to counteract yeah i think I think I felt very guilty about my friend's suicide. Um, Mm. He was somebody I had class with every day and I felt like I should have known. I should have known that this, that he was struggling and I should have done something about it. And the truth is I didn't know. Um, But at the time I thought I should have known. And that was just something that played over and over and over and over again in my head was just, you should have known, you should have known, you should have known, you should have done something. And, and, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'll definitely let you finish that thought, but I was just sitting here thinking about the the fact how many people didn't know what, what how you were struggling. Right. Yeah. You it's know? a little ironic. I mean, these <laughs> things that can be done in secret that it's like I should have known and yet if we can hide these things. Yeah. And I mean we all want to put the best version of ourselves forward, you know. Yeah. I mean that's just human nature and so you don't lead with well I'm really struggling with this most of the time and so it's really easy to hide some of those things and right. That's certainly what I did for a very, very long time. And that's unfortunately what my friend did as well. Um, but I just, I carried so much guilt from that. And I, the house that I grew up in, um, we were all close. I'm the oldest of six kids. And so there were a lot of us. Um, but emotion was not something that was really welcome or talked about necessarily in the army and in military families. There's this very, yeah. you know, pull yourself that's up true. by the bootstraps, like, move on, everything's fine, be strong, be tough, like all of those kinds of messages are very important. And so I thought, well, I can't say anything. Like, I don't even know how to verbalize that I feel this much guilt. And I think some part of me knew that I really didn't need to, but I couldn't get past, I couldn't get through the guilt enough to get to that point, you know, even though logically I knew that. Um, So I think I felt a lot of guilt. And I think I also was just really angry. And Mm. I was angry at my friend that he had done this. I was angry that the world had moved on and didn't seem to care. And I was angry that I was still so affected by it. Um, And I think I was just sad and lonely. You know, like I moved so frequently and I felt like I didn't really have a whole lot of people to turn to. And so I think it was just kind of this whole group of really kind of negative emotion um, yeah. that all kind of melded into this one ball of, I don't even know what, negativity. <laughs> right, right. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, and 
all of the situations that are um, complicating this with you guys moving so much and that just the instability of that and not the, um, I mean, that, that it's just tough. That would be a very difficult thing to wrestle with um, and to feel so out of control yeah. in a lot of different fronts. And, you know, that's, I see it with our kids when, when we, our life has been in a lot of transition, obviously over the past several years, mm -hmm. you know? And so even when transitions are good, you can see uh, our kids responding in certain ways or it's manifesting itself in certain ways that they don't know how to articulate, right? They haven't, their prefrontal cortex is not developed <laughs> enough to be able to <laughs> extract themselves right. from that situation and find some distance and go, hey, this is what I'm feeling right now. And let me begin to, as we talked earlier, put pen to paper or begin to articulate this out loud, you know, um, and that begins to t help you take over that narrative, like you said, you just, you just don't know. You're like, I don't know why I'm feeling this, but I do know that this right here helps this. Yeah. And I think that that was part yeah. of it. Like I didn't know how to even articulate what it was that was wrong. I think now I have the benefit of hindsight and being able to look back and say, well, it was this, this, and this, and this is what I felt. But at the time, right. I just knew I felt bad. I knew I felt guilty and I felt bad. And wow. self-injury was something that, that for a minute made all of that go away. It certainly yeah. came back, but for a minute it helped. And that minute of relief was worth everything else for me at that point. Wow. Wow. So as, as you, you know, obviously you talked about there were bouts and seasons of, okay, we, we kind of quote unquote kicked this for a little while, but mm -hmm. then it would come back and it reemerge. And, um, can you talk to me a little bit about that journey spiritually for you? You know, what, mm -hmm. what are some things that, and I don't want to say there's like an easy cure to any of this, right? <laughs> right. Like, by any means, it's so much more nuanced and complicated than that. But what were some big like tr truths or realities or experiences? You know, obviously the one with your with your teacher there that was um, really really impactful to you. But mm -hmm. were there some other things that the Lord did that really kind of helped you to begin to understand your worth and your value to where it helped to shed some of this? Yeah, I think that I had the benefit of the fact that I'd grown up in a Christian home. And so I knew, I knew the Bible. I knew who God said He was. I knew who God said I was. And so I think that having that foundationally was so important because had I not right. had that, I don't even, I don't even know where I would have ended up, honestly. Um, right. You at least had some kind of a tethering there. Right. Yeah. It was something that at least I could go, well, I know, I believe this, even if I can't see it. I believe it. Um, and so I think that that was really important. As I kind of moved through this journey that, you know, was really went on for a decade or so. So, you know, there was no quick, like you said, there was no quick fix. It wasn't just like a one and done situation. Um, I think that I, I really had some people who poured into me and they didn't know that there was anything else going on, but they were really intentional about um, building relationships with me. And that was something that for me was really important and really outside of kind of my normal existence um, to feel like I was seen and noticed and that somebody wanted to know me, even if they yeah. knew I was only going to be around for two years was something that was powerful. And I think that that was a reminder to me that like, God isn't going to leave me. God, God doesn't leave after two years. You know, God's got me no matter what. And God wants to know me no matter what. And this is part of for better or for worse, this is part of me right now. Um, right. And so I think that that was something that was, that was powerful. 
I mentioned that I went to the Amazon twice. Um, I went during college to a little village about six hours up the Amazon River um, twice for about a month each time and lived in this village and we ministered to the people there. And and my struggle with self-injury was ongoing at that point. Um, mm. And I, But I think that God really used those experiences in those villages with those people to really kind of remind me of my own place in in the world and, you know, in the big picture of things. And, um, it took me out of this bubble of like, Oh, my life is really hard. Um, this, you know, I've got this really big struggle and nothing's ever going to get better. You know, kind of this whole, woe is me, not pity party necessarily, but it just felt hard and heavy. And when I was taken out of my kind of everyday environment and was in the Amazon in these villages, I was looking around at these people who had struggled in very real, tangible ways by no fault of their own, purely circumstantial. Um, I was able to go, you know, not that my struggle was invalid by any stretch of the imagination, but I was able to go like, there is more to this than just you. And that's good. And God is working in more than just your life. And I, and I think Mm. that that was something that was really helpful for me along this, this journey was the acknowledgement that I could see God moving in other places, even if I couldn't see God moving in my own life necessarily, um, in the ways that I was wanting him to move, I could look around and go, but I see God moving there. And if God's moving there, then I have faith that God can move here too. That's great. So I think that that, that was really helpful. I don't know that, you know, there's necessarily like one big flashing neon sign, light bulb moment, or, you know, something (laughs) like that, but it was kind of just this, all of these little things along the way yep. that kept me going enough to be able to say and kept, I guess, my faith alive enough to be able to say, I, even in spite of this, I still trust God. I still believe. Yep. I still believe these truths I've believed my whole life. I don't think that any of those are false or that they've changed. Hmm. I just am in this hard season right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that, that there usually is an, in in our stories, there's not usually some big light bulb flashing like neon sign that, mm-hmm. you know, some people Praise God, they get that, right? right. <laughs> but typically, it's not this one thing that completely alters the course of it. We, I think of them like waypoints. I think of them like, here's this part of this journey, and here's this part of this journey, and here's this part, and God shows up in these unique ways and ministers to us in, in ways that it, it keeps us moving mm-hmm. on the journey. And we then get to keep moving down the path to experience the next thing that God's going to show us that's going to like reorient us and retether him to retether us to him. I I also love that this was profound, Brittany, that you just said, I don't know if you realize how profound it is, but there is that tension between what the, the, the two sides of this and what you experienced in the Amazon, Mm -hmm. you experienced other people going through pain Mm -hmm that some might say was worse than yours, even though at the same time, we don't like to compare pain. Right. Right. We shouldn't, (laughs) we shouldn't compare pain. Right. Because to your point, exactly what you said, your pain was not unvalid, right? It Mm -hmm. it doesn't diminish, you know, seeing and acknowledging this doesn't diminish what you were going through. You were still going through a really difficult time. It was very painful, but I love the way that you put it because the way you put it was, um, there's more than just me right? There's mm-hmm. more going on than just me. Yeah. And I think that's such an important tension to manage there, mm-hmm. right? How do we validate and address our pain? 
We can't suppress it. We can't diminish it. We can't stuff it. We can't look at somebody else and go, well, you know, okay, my, my mind's nothing because I, I'm, I haven't gone through what they've gone through. Mm-hmm. You know, that's recipe for this thing to just come out with a vengeance. I mean, yeah. it's going to, it's going to, it's going to come out ugly if we don't really deal with it. We have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, there's something beautiful about observing the struggle of other people, hearing from the struggle of other people, witnessing the struggle of other people and, and realizing, okay, if, if God's working in their life, you know, he's, he's working, he can work in mine. Mm-hmm. And and even in observing those things, to have that moment where you go, that I don't know if I could walk through that. That seems way tougher than what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's something to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think that because that's what that's how God ministered to me. Mm-hmm. I began reading stories of missionaries that were having just these horrific tragedies that happened to them, and that was what God ministered to, used to me to kind of cut and you know cut across that lie that I was believing where, well, if I'm giving my life to the Lord for ministry, then surely I'm not going to experience some kind of tragedy. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like reading these stories of all these tragedies of missionaries. I'm going, wow. And my story pales in comparison to them. It Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't want anybody to say that because it does, but it, and I don't want anybody to say that about their story. And yet at the same time, it really helped me. Yeah. And I don't know how to explain that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you've got words for that, but you put it so succinctly right there, this tension that we manage when we experience and observe other people's suffering and what it does to minister to us. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, none of us ever want to wish suffering on anybody else. Uh, you know, that's, yeah. that's something I don't think anybody, hopefully nobody wishes on other people. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's, it's sick, right? To, right. To, if, but, I mean, at, that is, but, but at the same time, if you've stubbed your toe, it sometimes makes you feel a little bit better to look around and go, oh, they've stubbed their toe too. Other people have too. And yeah. so, you know, while while these people that I know from the Amazon weren't struggling with self-injury, at least not that I'm aware of, they were certainly struggling with other things. There were people in abusive relationships. Yeah. There was a baby that died while we were there. You know, there were all of these, tra- they were relying on God for basic necessities, you know, food from the jungle. Um water that the, we were praying that the water level would raise, like these things that we just take for yeah. granted here all the time. Um, and certainly, you know, I think what you said is true. Like my struggle in a lot of ways, if you, if you want to compare trauma or whatever, it pales in comparison to what these people were going right. through on a daily basis. But at the same time, it was like re- reassuring feels like a weird word to use, but it was a little reassuring yeah. to be able to look around and go, but I'm not the only one struggling and God is working in the midst of all of this. And so if God is working in the midst of all of these other struggles that are so much, you know, quote unquote, bigger than mine, right. then surely he can work in mine too. That's right. And that, there was just some comfort in that for me. Wow. I'd love to kind of uh, unpack this concept that you, you just kind of ran over it at the very beginning of our conversation, but it's such a profound concept. It's the, this idea of really kind of taking back your narrative or taking mm-hmm. kind of control of that narrative, which we talk about this often, right? I mean, the, the whole idea of nothing is wasted. We want to help you partner with God to take back your story. Right. But there's something so profound about reorienting your narrative and aligning it with the way God sees your narrative, yeah. you know, because our, the way we see it is so skewed. Talk to me about what, how significant that's been for you. Obviously as a writer, yeah. You know, it's huge, but how has that been significant in your healing? I think it has been 
maybe the most monumental thing in my healing, honestly. Um, when I started writing about this and when I started speaking about this, you know, on my own social media and website and, um, you know, having these doors open up to write articles for these different places and things like that. And I started writing my experience and writing these kind of little vignette moments that I thought might be helpful for somebody else or that I felt like God laid on my heart to share. Um, all of a sudden this changed from this story about this thing that I had done, you know, to, mm. to be the story of what God has done. And it's a long story. It's not a quick little short read. Yeah. You know, it was a many, 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 many year process. But I think that being able to shift it from, wow, I've struggled for so many years. It was so hard for so many years to, yeah, I struggled for a long time and it was really hard. But now look what God has done with it. Like that shift was just so powerful for me to be able to say, um, I'm not the center of this. Like, yeah, this is a struggle I dealt with, but I'm not the center of it. God is still the center of this story. Um, and so I think that for me, writing has been a way to do that. I think just on a personal level, like I said before, even if nothing you write ever sees the light of day, being able to write, to write your story forces you to think about it in a different way. Um, yeah. it's really easy to get caught up in our own narrative in our mind of how we tell the story, especially if it's an old story, we fall into these same, mm. you know, these same lines that we use or these <laughs> same messages that we, that we tell yeah. ourselves. Um, yeah. and when you're forced to sit down and write about it, I think something about physically, and I think physic physically writing, it's different even than typing it, but I think physically yeah. writing your story, um, or pieces of your story really just makes you think, like, is this really what I believe? You know, there's, it's one thing to, to just journal kind of every thought that crosses through your mind. But then, especially if you go back and reread it to sit down and go, well, I wrote, you know, I'm worthless, but do I really believe I'm worthless? Or did I just mm. feel that in the moment? You know, what do I really feel? What do I really believe? Yeah. If it's a better day today, do I really think that? Or was that just a bad day thought? And so I think this idea mm. that we can kind of craft you know, if you want to get into like the technicalities of writing, like craft the way that we present the story, that's, that's something powerful. It's powerful to do, whether it's written or verbally or whatever, to be able to say, yep. here's this, here are the facts of this story. I struggled with self-injury for a really long time. It was something that was really hard for me. It took a long time for me to get over it. Now I'm talking about it. You know, those are the facts. To be able to frame that in a way that feels positive versus a way that feels negative is, is a big shift. And I think really shifts the way that we view ourselves in the world and the way that we view ourselves, you know, as standalone people and God's children. Yeah. yeah. That's so good. I know I, I, I think it's shifted for me quite a bit, you know, when my writing coach really walked me through that concept and she was doing it purely from a literary standpoint. Mm -hmm. But to me, it became a healing thing. Yeah. <laughs> she was my, probably my best therapist, you know, at that moment. Because what, it, what I started to do then is I started to say, okay, I, if I'm just a character in this story, mm -hmm. right? And I'm a character that has a, I have a choice. I have a choice whether or not I'm, I'm going to become a heroic character. Like, am I going to triumph in this? Or am I going to like kind of slip into this vortex where I just kind of, you know, um, waste away in the, in the footnotes mm -hmm. of the story. If I'm going to be a heroic character, then I've got to start asking myself, what do heroic characters do? I've watched enough movies. I've read enough <laughs> stories, you know, 
what do heroic characters do? And it was crazy because it helped me to separate yeah. myself from the story and go, well, now I can kind of make decisions for that character. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that might sound really odd, but at the end of the day that I feel like that is so helpful because it removes you from the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you just think of yourself as a character in it, then then it, it really does change kind of the trajectory of what you can do and where you can go. Because if you're just a character, if you, you know, are essentially writing and crafting the story, you know, it, you're not bound then by all of these events happening to you. That's right. You can change the response. You know, one of the like yep. critical things in the point of a story is, is characters have to be in pursuit of something or it's not a good That's story. Good. And yeah. so, you know, if you apply and they that, they have to face difficulty right. in that pers- pursuit, right. right? Yeah, obstacles. Yeah, you need you need a struggle and you need pursuit, mm-hmm. and those two things yep. together create the plot. And so, if you can take right. those two things and say, you know, and apply it to your own life and say, what am I in pursuit of here? You know, here's the story, here's the struggle, here's the character and the setting, and all the things that you need to make a story. Yep. I know what the struggle is. What am I in pursuit of? then even if it's not what you really have been in pursuit of, you know, I was in pursuit of control. I can look at, at the story and go, but what I really want to be in pursuit of is God. So what That's do right. I need to do to be more like Christ? You know, what do I need to do yeah. to be in pursuit of, of sanctification or whatever the thing is that you want to be in pursuit yeah. of? You know, you can kind of shift and from there survey your life and what you've got going on and say, which direction do I need to move for that? What's the next right thing? for that, to further that storyline. That's great. That's so good. Man, ministering to me like crazy. That's so good. (laughs) Oh, Um, yeah. I just, I mean, that it was such a profound concept for me that the the writing technique and how it overlays our, our healing Mm -hmm. that um, it's not often that we talk to somebody on the podcast that has that perspective, you know, as from a writing standpoint Mm -hmm. and not just from like, Oh, I'm a writer, but also like, I'm a part of helping writers and coaching yeah. writers and doing, you know, and bringing community around. And so like even the theory of writing mm-hmm. and what that does is we overlay it our, to our lives and in terms of our healing and, and how we live out our story, it really, um, it, it excites me to think about that yeah. because we're all living a story and we have one story that we get to live. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, but we get to choose how that pen is going to go to paper, right? Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily get to choose the obstacles that come up in our face, but just like writers of great series, you know, like TV series that we watch, they're writing all along in the process. They didn't sit out and write the whole thing and film the whole thing, you know, and like they're literally writing as it, it's, it takes on a life of its own. And so they're able to really move and shift characters yeah, based on what they want to. And that's how our life unfolds. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a little tricky because it's easy to look at somebody else and go, well, they, they, you know, for going with the writing analogy, they've written the whole story. They know where this yeah. ends, you know, they've got it figured out. And, and I think, we as Christians like to have a nice, tidy, redemptive bow on things. We right. like the story, um, you know, the rags to riches, the the feel yep. good, like, and now it's all better ending. Right. And the truth is not every story has that. Not every story gets that. No. And so I think even just acknowledging that and having the freedom to say, you know, like, like for me personally, self-injury is something that those thoughts are still there. Like, it's not like yeah. all of a sudden that went away for me. Literally just about to ask you that. Yeah. You know? you know, it's not like poof, it's done. It's great. And I've got this nice bow to tie on this whole thing. It's, this right. is something I still work at. And so I think that just the freedom to say that, you know, I, this is a story that's still being written. It's not yeah. neat. It's not perfect yet. It's not polished and tidy and, you know, all of those things. Yeah. Um, is really 
that was something that for me was very liberating when I allowed myself to finally say, like, I don't have to have this perfectly wrapped and packaged mm -hmm. before it can mean something for somebody else. That's right. That's right. I'm reading, um, so I might get emails about this, one, but I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading to our kids right now, Harry Potter. Yep. So at night we're reading it out loud. And I think of it in terms of like those kinds of stories where you have, you know, sequels and you have mm -hmm. like this whole series where absolutely we get to hear on the nothing is wasted podcast. We get to experience in our own lives. These almost closed books are these, mm -hmm. like there are certain bows that are wrapped. It's like, Oh wow, that's a great redemption story. But the redemption story also comes, you know, with, with, uh, with a dot, 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 right. Yeah. It's like, Oh, there's another story loop that's about to open up mm -hmm. because that's how life goes. It, we continue to experience pain. We continue to experience hardship and obstacles. And while the previous one gives us the tools that we're going to need for the next one, it's still a struggle. It's still a journey. It's still, we're still in progress. Absolutely. Yeah. I love the stories that end with like, and they kept going or, and they woke up the next morning and it cut and the book cuts there because that, I mean, it it's really done. kind of what, like on one hand, it's a little frustrating. It's like, oh, you couldn't have given me a more satisfying ending. But on the other hand, yeah, like right. that's real life. Like it's life, you know, and you wake up and you keep going. And that sometimes right. is the redemption story that you wake up and you yeah. keep going. Yeah, man, that's so funny. Um, I know we got to close our time, but it's funny how you say that because uh, the, the book that at some point I'll be able to release and it, it's, but it's with our our publisher right now until after my late wife's jury trial, the ending of it, because I, I don't really talk about in the ending because I, when I wrote it, I hadn't experienced some of the, like what I would call some of the redemptive story of, you know, of our story mm -hmm. with meeting Christy and some of the cool things that God did through all of that stuff. And so I, I went back to the publisher and I'm like, <clears throat> should we like add an addendum to this and all this? And he <laughs> said the, the exact same thing. He's like, no, the way you ended that is like, this is what life is like. You like have to just walk this journey, mm -hmm. you know, you have to just keep getting up every day and going. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what I think we do sometimes ourselves and everybody else a disservice by trying to find that happy ending mm -hmm. when it's not necessarily there on this side of eternity. Yeah. We need some solidarity and going, yep, still on the journey, still struggling, but we have our eyes fixed on, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Yeah. He's the one that's going to ultimately put that bow on it, so to speak. Yeah. And he's going to set all these things right. But right now we're in the already not yet. Yes. And I think that's so powerful. Hmm. Brittany, this just been an awesome conversation. Um, I would love, I mean, uh, obviously we can talk about so much more <laughs> with your life, but I'd love for our, our listeners to um, know where they can journey with you and follow you. Can you share with us you have a blog instagram what where are you yeah. at yeah so um i am on instagram mostly that's the social media channel i like the most um mm -hmm. at Brittany tinsley writes w-r-i-t-e-s um and then i have a website brittanytinsley.com so you can find me there that's awesome well thanks so much for spending time with us and thanks for sharing vulnerably and uh you really stirred me up in this conversation so i appreciate that thank yeah. you so much thank i know so you much. stirred our listeners as well thank you was awesome. I mean, just an incredible episode. And I'm, I'm so grateful for Brittany's vulnerability, her transparency, you know, being willing to, to share some things that could, you know, very well be sources of shame in her life. And the reason that I'm so grateful for that and proud of her 
for sharing that on, on such a public platform is, you know, because ultimately as we begin to expose those places of our life, those places of our heart that bring us the most shame and, and that we're, um, that we're wanting to hide as we expose those, we find healing. We really do. I mean, it's, it, it amazes me how, how many times I am feeling this heavy burden. I'm feeling a heavy burden of shame or insecurity or something that this deep seated fear that I don't want to admit. I'm like ashamed to admit it. But when I, when I admit it and I confess that to safe, close, trusted friends or advisors, when I admit that and confess that to my, to my wife, Christy, you know, it just, it lifts that burden immediately. It, it takes power away from whatever that thing is. And the Bible would say it this way, confess your sins or, or, you know, broaden that a little bit, confess your burdens, confess your, you know, that just the the dark, icky places of your heart. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. And and then you will be healed. There's a, a recipe for healing right there. But so many times we we hang on to those and they they stay in the dark recesses of our hearts and they just end up kind of festering in this like moldy, mildewy space in our heart. And it just grows and it rots and it just can, and I mean, then it can just sabotage everything about us, everything about our life, everything about our relationships. Um, and so thank you, Brittany, for just the, the courage and the, uh, you know, just the, how the boldness to, to share those things vulnerably and inspiring me to do that as well. That was very, very inspiring. I know it was inspiring for all of you guys who were listening to that as well. Um, I, w- I want to just key in on this this one idea that was brought up, and that is this idea that she talked about where when we start looking outside of ourselves, when we're in pain and we start looking outside, when we kind of get our eyes up off of our pain, then it it does something. It does something to to heal us. And what I mean by get our eyes up off of our pain is I mean begin to to let the the fact that we are in pain, let it become this almost this alert to notify us that there are other people who are in pain. You know, let it become this thing that grows us in empathy and grows us in humility rather than being a thing that, that grows us in self-centeredness. You see what can often happen when we find ourselves in painful situations is we begin to look in. You know, we all have this inward bent, this this um, th- this sin nature that causes us to look after ourselves before we look after anybody else. To to th- just think about ourselves. To and it and it really is like a curvature, like a focused curvature inward. And when we're in pain, I feel like that that focus inward becomes even stronger and more acute. And that can ultimately cause us to spiral. It can cause us to, to, to end up getting sucked into the abyss of depression and, and anxiety because we're so focused on, on the, 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 the magnitude of our own pain. And, you know, I honestly feel like that there's a very simple formula or recipe for when we are in pain, how to how to get up out of that, how to start moving through it and move toward purpose. 
You see, if we look inward first, then it just begins to grow. The, the inward, self-centered, selfish nature begins to, we focus so much on our pain, the pain begins to grow. And it begins to get so overwhelming and all-consuming that it, it, will, it, it will overtake us. But look at Isaiah chapter 6. The beginning of that book says, in the year King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a, an incredible king for Israel. And so here you have this tragic year where the king has died. And it says the very next line, um, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. And this is Isaiah speaking. So in this moment of tragedy, Isaiah, rather than looking inward first to his own pain, he looked upward. And he, and, he, and he looked and sought to say, okay, God, how are you viewing this situation? What is your perspective on this situation? And then it says that he essentially from there looked inward. So he looked upward. And when he looked upward, he saw God for who God really is. And when he saw God for who he really is, he began to see himself in the light of God for who he really is. And so he looked inward and he saw that, man, I am a sinful person and I live I, 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 I'm, I'm a man that's unclean with unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And so he saw himself, right? But then he didn't get stuck right there. What it, next it says, then the Lord said, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And, and Isaiah right there in the midst of his pain, in the midst of it, like looking inward and, and kind of dissecting what's going on inside of his own heart, he raises his hand to volunteer to go help other people who are in pain, to go help other people who are lost, to go help other people who are broken, to go help other people who are helpless. And, and, and I believe that that kind of three-step process provides a framework for us in how we walk through pain. But so often we get, we get it out of order and we first look to ourselves and we kind of go inward because naturally it, we're in self-preservation mode. We're in survival mode. That's what trauma does to us. It causes us to want to whatever we can to escape, to secure, to to hedge off, you know, all, all of the the threats that are that are bearing down on us. And so we we begin to look inward and we close ourselves off. And incidentally, we close ourselves off from the very thing or people that God wants to use to invite us into healing. And so, you know, my encouragement through this, and as Brit Brittany so appropriately reminded us, in our pain, yes, it's important to do some very deep introspective work. We can't, we can't bypass that process. We can't skip over that. We've got to look inward, but we've got to look inward through the lens of looking upward. God, what do you see about my situation? What do you say about my situation? What do you see and say about me? in this? What do you want to teach me? How do you want to lead me in this? And every time we surrender to that, the Lord's going to reveal some things in us. He's going to, he's going to put his, his healing hand on us, kind of touch those wounded parts of our heart. He's going to begin to mend them, but he's always going to focus our eyes back outward to look to help other people in the midst of this. And as we help other people, we will find healing. As we help other people, we will find wholeness. As we help other people, we will find purpose. 
man, there is just something so profound about living a life of purpose, living a life that is for more than just yourself. I say this way often that self-centeredness leads to bitterness. Self-expression leads to depression. We were not meant to carry the weight of anyone's worship. We were not meant to navel gaze. But as we fix our eyes and we gaze on our Savior, the magnitude of our Savior shrinks our problems. You want to focus on your problems. Your problems are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. They're going to get overwhelming. But if you focus on your Savior, man, in the light of His glory and grace, <laughs> and that what the, the old hymn says, um, turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Hmm. Brittany, thanks for that reminder. Thank you for that just, just very powerful conversation. Whew. Well, we want to help you. We want to help you partner with God to take back your story, uh, whatever that looks like, wherever you found yourself. Um, we know that the enemy is trying to paralyze you and neutralize you in your pain to get you to be stuck and to render you ill-effective. And listen to me, friends, that doesn't have to be the case. Your pain, your tragedy, your trauma does not have to have the final say in your life. Jesus is inviting you into a better story. And he's saying, hey, let's go, take it. let's go take it back. Let's go take it back together. And we want to help you with that. So go to nothingiswasted.com. We've got a lot of resources there, whether it's the pain to purpose course, whether it's our new community platform where you can connect with other people who are walking through the same exact thing you're walking through. I mean, hundreds of people all over the world who are connected on this platform, walking through the same thing you're walking through. You can find community and solidarity and encouragement and inspiration from other people. Our coaches are interacting right there. Maybe you want to hire one of our coaches to walk you through the pain to purpose pathway one-on-one. -on -one. You can find all of that stuff at nothing is wasted. Com. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can download his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we would love to interact with you there. We've got all kinds of giveaways that we do and all kinds of fun things. You can follow us at Nothing is Wasted Ministries. You can follow me at Davey Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Obsamp. Next week, we're having a conversation with probably the single most brilliant person I have ever talked to ever in my life. I was blown away in my conversation with this guy. So why don't you go ahead and just listen to a little clip from my conversation with Kurt Thompson. One of the things that we say that we do in, in the work that we do in our practice uh, is that we are, our job is to help people tell their stories more truly. When we say mm. that Jesus, when Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, uh, it's, he's not, uh, the, the, you know, the word truth is not just limited to factual, you know, positional truth. It's this notion that in me, in relationship with me, you sense, you feel, you, like you sense in your chest the way you know you should be, like you want to be living, right? There's, there's yeah. that's true. Yeah. Like, like when a piano is tuned truly, that kind of true. Mm. And so we want people's yeah. stories to reflect this. Part of the challenge is that 
uh, in order to do this, you know, our, our trauma and our losses, uh, uh, often for which we have not uh, healed well from, uh, leave us uh, with coping strategies that make it difficult for us to imagine that life can be any other way than what it is.